Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this, the latest HR on the Offensive podcast. It's me, Chris, uh, from Lace Partners. Um, You've probably heard my voice many times before, and you might have heard my partner in crime today's voice. Um, We recently did a podcast with Lisa Dennis talking about the HR Shared Services white paper. Uh, It is the founder, the creator of said white paper, uh, our executive director for HR Transformation, Emily Onis. How are you doing, Emily? You all right? Hey, Chris. Yep. Good. Thank you. Yeah. We're excited today because we are talking about leadership and management, aren't we? Yeah. And we've got a guru in. Can I call him a guru? He was being a bit abusive to me just off air a second ago. So no, I'm not. Yeah, go on. We'll, we'll give him the title of guru. It's uh, it's Steve Bernard from Connectwell. Steve, hello, sir. How are you? Chris, I'm very good. Uh, very nice to be in your company again. Thank you. You're going to be nice to me during this podcast, of even course. though we're not nice off air. Cool. You, should, you should treat our banter as uh, familiarity in our in our relationship. <laughs> we do that. We do that indeed. So, Steve, just before we talk about, we've got a few questions, and we're gonna we're gonna kick the uh, kick the idea around of, of leadership in in twenty twenty one, and we're looking at you know how businesses approach leadership. But before we do that, can you just give us a bit of a heads up for those people who may not have heard from the previous podcast we've done? So, we've already done a podcast with the guys from Connect Well with Steve Ems and I have done already. But just tell us a little bit about what Connect Well do just before we get into the nub of leadership in 2021. Brilliant. Um, well, thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah, for those of you that haven't come across us before or worked with us before, ConnectWell is a management consultancy that focuses on organisational development. So primarily, we're really after working with ambitious organisations and leaders to work on the relationships in the workplace, relationships in terms of the purpose of the organisation, relationships inside the organisation between colleagues, and importantly, relationships with uh, external partners and customers too. So we very much try to focus on understanding the ethos and the purpose of an organisation, its business strategy, if you will, and then marry up some of the practices and the behaviours internally to make sure they work in synchronicity. Nice. So we started off uh, 2021. At the time of us recording, we are two weeks into 2021. And I just thought I'd pitch just a very open question. And maybe, Ems, you can jump in on this as well after we've let Steve just have his, his say. A nice open one to start off with, which is how, um, from what you're seeing and people that you're speaking to, some of the businesses you're speaking to, how are you seeing leaders staying connected, well, have been staying connected, and how do you see them in 2021 remaining connected? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good question and very timely, Chris, in terms of just looking back at the, the pandemic so far with, with what's been going on. In truth, I've seen a mixed bag. There's been some really good performance and good practice, but equally, I've seen some organisations that are really struggling and gapping. For the great organisations, the, the great leaders and organisations, they are doing something which I think they do anyway in normal times, which 
sometimes it's referred to as organizational sensing, but they've got their kind of feelers out, if you will. And it's not often the feelers that are the formal set pieces that really count in this regard. It's the little anecdotal conversations that perhaps you might used to have in the office. It's the checking in with people, perhaps um, in an unscheduled way. It's the kind of extra five minutes that you might tag onto a one-to-one with a direct report, etc. It's those sorts of touch points that sometimes really make a difference where it highlights to a leader or a senior manager a question. It might not frame an answer or give them an insight, but it might frame a question which they didn't have previously or they didn't think they needed to ask about. And the leaders and the organisations that have really done well during this very difficult period are those leaders who have adapted. They've managed to maintain those conversations. They've managed to maintain those checkpoints. And, you know, we're all restricted right now to the, the formats of those. So there's no rocket science here. It's the, it's the phone call it's the video call, but it's really the difference for me is the quality of the conversations and the equality of the listening. In contrast, where people have really struggled, where individuals have struggled, they're not necessarily having different or fewer conversations, funnily enough. It's the quality that's different. Very often, the, the, the folk that are falling down, they're having what I might refer to as more kind of tactical conversations or more I hope this doesn't sound too impolite, but more superficial conversations. They're talking to their people around operational questions. They might be asking, you know, how things have gone, a particular project or a particular conversation. But it's that level of listening, the quality of the listening that's associated that I think is the real differentiator or different marker between the kind of good examples and the not so good. Very often it's about, you know, making sure people not just listen to respond, but they listen to really seek to understand and deepen what they knew before. I think what I found really interesting sort of linked to that, Steve, is everything feels so planned and so scheduled right now. Everything has to have a purpose. And sometimes it feels very forced. I had a Teams issue yesterday morning. Like my laptop was just in, oh my God, it's 2021. I can't cope mode, but uh, <laughs> completely in, in uh, meltdown. So I called one of my team members on the phone and the very immediate response was, what's up? I said, no, nothing. Just can't access the Teams. Let's have a chat. And I actually think we've forgotten in some ways that sometimes just picking up the phone and being spontaneous is a really good thing to do. There's nothing behind it. It's just, hey, I wanted to just check in. Whereas... If it's already calendarized, it's, it feels a little bit more forced with some sort of agenda behind it. And then I think you, you lose some of that openness, perhaps, that we had once before. Yeah. Do you know what? I would absolutely echo that as well. And I'll give you an example. So just before Christmas, one of our colleagues, um, Pip, who you guys know, uh, works at Lace, we actually arranged to have some time to have a catch up. And it was good because we hadn't had a catch up in ages. So we physically like we put in, I put I put something into the calendar, something saying like, you know, Chris and Pip's uh, pre-organized, totally non-organic and natural phone conversation. And it went really well because it was half an hour. However, it was a weird one because Neil, I'm sure Neil, who works in Emma's team, wouldn't mind me saying this, but Neil and I had have had a couple of conversations. Now, Neil and I 
get on really, really well in the office and we banter and things like that. I haven't spoken to Neil for ages, but he was in the middle of projects and I was in the middle of projects and we'd arranged to talk and just for a general catch up about, you know, what sort of TV are you watching at the moment and things like that. Cause it's that kind of engagement and uh, keeping people sort of ticking over. And after about 25 minutes, both of us had sort of said the things that we wanted to say, but because we'd penciled an hour in, it felt a bit awkward. And I was almost a bit like, right then. Okay. <laughs> so, so I, I wrote that down, like getting that balance. And that this goes back to the point that you were talking about, Ems, getting that balance and making it feel natural and organ and not, like not, being formal is really, really important. And you can't just say, right, our allocated time for conversation is this time a week. It, you need to find that balance, don't you, Steve, between making it natural and making sure that you do it on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great examples. And and I think um, something from, I guess, the sort of coaching methodology or coaching textbook, there's, I dare I call it this, there's a bit of an art form around not having set piece questions, but actually the art of being curious and remaining curious. Um, I saw something online recently, and um, I apologize, I can't remember who to, to acknowledge for this, but it was a, a really simple diagram of, of a, a long continuum. And uh, the quote said something like, this is a person's whole life. And it showed one tiny end of that line and it basically said, this is the part of their life that you understand and are aware of. So, so that always kind of stays with me in the sense that you'll never know everything there is to know about a person or everything that that person might believe or feel about a certain situational topic. So it's around that making sure that the conversation flows and making sure that you stay curious. And sometimes it's really about framing the right question. And dare I say it for, for us in, in the UK, about actually being okay with a little bit of silence and a little bit of antagonistic conversation. Sometimes I think the set piece energy can come from us being a bit too formal yeah i absolutely agree and i was just sort of reflecting on on some of the things we might chat about in this podcast earlier and something you wrote um chris in your blog yesterday that i read on linkedin where you talk about actually it's not about resetting stop using that word reset yeah <laughs> um i have it's a more about... there for that yeah go on, sorry <laughs> You did, but but I liked it. I liked I liked your little rant. It made good sense. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is all about that listening and that that kind of then turning listening into action. And I guess what I'd be really interested, Steve, to kind of um, hear from your point of view is if you reflect on the traits of what maybe a year ago we would have said really strong leadership looked like versus actually what it should be now, and maybe even more what it needs to be in the next let's say plus months, because this kind of hybrid is way of working is all going to continue absolutely so we've got a new leadership mold and characteristics perhaps emerging that we didn't have before yeah absolutely and and i think um probably the place i'd start with my response there would be the nature of the conversation the leadership conversation should be one that actually is a very kind of adult very open very human conversation I think where we've perhaps left 2020 and, and entered 2021 is that we've all been quite stressed. Everyone's been under a huge amount of pressure to, to right-size their organisations, to just keep the wheels going round, quite frankly. And I think in that, without any malice intended, sometimes the managerial, the leadership and the line conversations become a bit tighter, a bit more tactical and a bit more expected. Um, so for me, there's something about the, the new agenda for leadership this year and, and hopefully going forward will be one which is not only more open, but actually one where perhaps um, you break some of the rules. And what, what I mean by that is 
perhaps from a cross-functional point of view, a bit like you referenced earlier, Chris, with your example, talking to people in different teams, picking up the phone and talking without a specific question or agenda to have, but actually leaving that kind of open space. I think that kind of cross-fertilization of conversations and uh, putting people who perhaps don't have the formal line or functional connections together where you kind of you might think and emma you referenced this earlier there was no rational reason to have that conversation or no rational reason for that particular question but it's in that gap and in that space that sometimes creativity can really flow Mm. and for me i would argue that um, any organization that hasn't asked the really difficult operational questions and suss them out already are probably in deep trouble. Assuming they've right-sized themselves and, and righted themselves to some extent, for me now, I think the conversation should be about creating more innovative type conversations where people can start to speculate and say, dare we think about how we might talk to new markets or how we might innovate our product sets or do things slightly differently. And in that more creative space, I think that's where you want to put antagonistic, if I can call it that, conversations together. And in a way, I think because of our training, um, it, it managerial training, I mean, sometimes we are almost preset to talk about, well, I need to talk about systems. Who in my company knows the most about systems or that particular system? I'll go to Emma or I'll go to Chris because that's the obvious place to go. And, and that's not wrong. So it's not about making that wrong, but it's about saying, okay, who else might have a perspective on this? Or who else might have a really good insight on the market that we might be pointing to? Um, so I think that's the difference. And do you think, Steve, maybe we're at risk of perhaps seeing leaders who, or maybe culturally, just how it's been over the past number of months, risk of seeing a situation where we've got a parent-child type relationship going on? And, and if that is a risk, I guess the question is, how do we overcome that? I think spot on. I was actually going to reference um, a transactional analysis earlier. I think absolutely that's what a lot of people have fallen into the trap of. The, the classic leader or senior manager, either being nurturing parent, where they're thinking to themselves in, in their own sort of inner thoughts, I need to protect my people. I need to protect the longevity of our organization. So they kind of metaphorically put their arms around the organization and do things for the right reasons, but nevertheless, it is a parental type feel to the engagement. Um, and equally, where people feel a lot of personal pressure and they feel a lot of risk associated, you might have the critical parent, which is, don't worry, you don't need to get involved. I'll make that decision on our behalf. So I'll kind of take the responsibility. And again, while it might be coming from a good place, it can only go so far. So, so I think those are definitely some traps that um, you, you'll see people fall into. How you change that, I think, is a really interesting, multifaceted question. Um, for me, I think I would really put a call out to everyone in the organisation to say it's everyone's responsibility to manage the quality of conversations. Where people have all-hand conversations or where they have group meetings of any uh, size, shape or form, I think one of the things that leaders can do is encourage challenge and actually ask some slightly sort of left field questions as to say, how is the communication going? If you think about what we've just communicated as a big change in the last month or last quarter, how did that come across to you? So I think continually challenging conversations and challenging modalities of communication might make people brave enough to say, do you know what, Emma, that was fantastic. You did a great job leading us through that particular period or introducing this change. It could be an acquisition. It could be um, changing a different operating model. But what I really didn't get 
to have the chance to, to say to you, or the thing I really wanted to challenge you on, it never really came up in our conversation. And I didn't really feel we had the space in the conversation to have that um, set of questions and answers. So I think if you can get to the point of challenging it to make people aware, that's a good starting point to, to give leaders that cue to say, okay, while they're doing good work, perhaps they're still missing something. Okay, interesting. So I'd like to just move us along a little bit and have a conversation around the, the productivity and happiness question, actually. What do you think in 2021 are going to be the big challenges for leaders in terms of trying to get the best out of your people from a productivity and a happiness perspective? Uh, what are the short and the long-term sort of impacts that you see? I'm going to direct that one towards Steve first. I think that's a great question. The productivity and happiness is going to be absolutely paramount. If you if you listen to uh, news recently, when you when you listen to uh, the well-being and the the mental health of various people, including key workers, I think that topic is going to be so so prevalent for at least the next year, if not the next few years. How to actually kind of monitor that, I think, is a, a really good case in point. And it follows on from the conversation we've already been having. I think um, that there is no replacement for the quality of insight that line managers can have. So I think actually, as, as well as you know, advocating more formal surveying and asking questions around people's uh, sense of well-being and, and health, uh, both mental and physical health, there's something around watching for the gaps. So again, I go back to the really important role of line managers and also colleagues, with the best will in the world, you can't have mm. uh, the all, all singing, all dancing line manager that can spot everything all the time. What I've seen in, in some great instances, and I'm thinking in particular of um, a client that we've been working with up in Birmingham in uh, financial services, they had a really good, um, if I can call it, team thing going on. They were very, very close professionally, you know, and, and friendly outside of work as well. But that familiarity afforded them just that kind of insight to say mm, something's something's up here. A colleague is perhaps a bit quieter than normal, or a bit snappier. You know, may, maybe didn't have the patience in that particular meeting. And for me, it's those little clues. It doesn't look big and sexy when you kind of identify clues to say something's up. And I think I might need to gently lean in and just see how things are going with an individual or a particular team. With regards to productivity, I think for me, if organisations haven't really reset and looked at what they might be measuring and how they might be doing things, again, I wouldn't say they've missed the boat, but perhaps they're quite late in, in looking at those sorts of things. But, but I'd say leaders this year should redouble their efforts to make sure that the kind of indicators they have in terms of measuring productivity are appropriate we're in such a fluid situation, um, you know, I would challenge anyone to say the measures of productivity that we've got are right or will continue to be right. I think there's a constant watch and learn to make sure that the, um, uh, the measures of product productivity are the right ones. So there's something about just keeping an eye on that and making sure um, we, we question ourselves and not, not overly question, but we just make sure that we're watching out as to say, if we're measuring X and Y, are they the right things to continue to measure as the context change and shifts over time from my perspective in my head i'm thinking that feels from a company-wide perspective it feels a lot more achievable to be able to measure some of that and also 
culturally to be able to embed that across teams if you're a smaller business how much more difficult is it when you've got large multinational or even businesses with you know we work with with people with companies that have got 10,000 employees how do you effectively measure that levels of productivity and happiness when you've got 10,000 employees and in one part of the business where you've got a group of maybe 20 30 who all work together they all sit together maybe normally when we used to be able to sit together uh, not anymore obviously and now all of us so so you you're all right with that sort of little group of people but then at the other side of the country for example you've got a completely different dynamic so i don't really know if, if there's an answer in that but like i guess my question is how difficult do you think it is and do you think there are what, what ways in which organizations can tackle those challenges are there any ways that you can think of in organizations that, that can tackle that that are larger yeah i'd be um i'd be interested in in your thoughts on this uh um, emma too uh but but from my, my instinctive answer to this is this isn't a new question or a new challenge in my opinion chris i think mm. it's a really important challenge but for me i think even in sort of pre-covid times in if you look at the organization's culture you'll you'll have kind of one or two cultures um that, that will dominate one culture which is quite positive is to actually say that even in a 10,000, 20,000 person organization, when you when you drop it down right through the organization to local teams and individual teams and groupings, um, it's the ability for people that are measuring uh, and surveying to say, am I interested in tuning in to say, why has that particular team got a really low response rate, for example, to a, an organizational survey? And the worst organizations, the ones where the culture is perhaps not set correctly, would be where people don't want to hear that. <laughs> people will want to say, well, we've had a six, of the 60% response rate, you know, 80% of our people are saying that communication is effective and we have the right level of communication throughout the period. And I think while that's well and good, it's a little bit yawn worthy. And, um, you know, that's fine. And we should expect that as good practice, but not best practice. For me, I think it's the conversations with the HR directors, the ops directors, and, and those people kind of in the, the middle of the organizational leadership matrix who were saying, well, that's fantastic. What about the other, you know, uh, 20, 23%? What, what have you found as being the kind of key inhibitors for people responding? And it's that those gaps where you're perhaps asking the slightly awkward questions, but it's the willingness to listen to the outlying data points and then the willingness to listen to people that perhaps are skeptical uh the ones that are a little bit animated who've got something to say and and tuning into those to find the what's really important about that very often when we're under pressure we try to look for the good news stories and we try to slightly you know anodize the the overall picture and for me the great leaders are the ones that don't accept that they'll say well while that's brilliant there are a couple of things i'm curious about over here and they give that the appropriate airtime as well. So I think this is an age-old um, challenge. It's probably risen to the surface as a topic um, because of the challenge that we've had over the last year. Emma, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I was just thinking about that. And I guess one of the things that springs to my mind is, you know, I personally feel as an individual, I've been more productive, for example, working from home in the past number of months. Um, but that's not necessarily sustainable. So it, it's an interesting one because we may in some industries, in some organisations, because of the you know, demographics of the workforce and then therefore the ease of working at home versus necessarily some of the front line, for example, have set a slightly dangerous precedent, perhaps. Um, and if that isn't sustainable, 
how open our leadership going to be to managing the requirement to perhaps have a slight drop in productivity to balance the well-being agenda with that. And again, I don't know what the answer is, but it's an interesting one that we might see play out over the coming months, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think so. The, the analogy that um, is coming up when you, you say that, I think it makes a lot of sense to me. If you, in really simplistic terms, um, because of the uh, working remotely scenario with COVID, it's a little bit like we've had people in a, a metaphorical box or a framework, if you will. And, and don't read into that, that that's a negative. But we've actually given people... Um, if you like, a tram line to work within and a framework to work within. In a way, the um, events that have happened across the world have blown that apart. They've blown that kind of scenario apart completely. And it's caught out leaders. And to and it's some, some extent, it's caught out HR uh, leaders and HR policies and frameworks. And I think the point you're making is it's not going to be that easy or straightforward um, or even short term to put that back into some kind of orderly framework or approach because we've opened partly Pandora's box where we've actually started to see the diversity of need the diversity of people's uh, personal preferences styles whether it you know whether it works for me to work from home Um, I've had lots of instances and I'm sure you guys have had the same where I've had clients say to me on support calls actually I live alone um, and I don't have uh, a huge number of friends that live locally that I can kind of meet up with. And therefore, I'm really, really quite missing the social framework that I get from being in our local office. And that's just one very simple example. But I think this op- this has been an opportunity for us to really see the diversity in every sense of that term of our people. And it requires some quite slow and sophisticated conversations to put back into some kind of framework how we treat our people and how we work together in a productive way, so to speak. And, and, and my hope for that is that we come out with some new scenarios and new frameworks that we can experiment with in the course of the next few years. The worst case scenario would be that we try to rush back to some kind of um, normal because I just don't think that's going to win the day. And I think it can cause all sorts of difficulties for people. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? This is something that I've thought about myself. So I am somebody that's always liked the banter in the office. I've liked being around other people and our office at Lace. We always used to make the joke that, you know, you'd have to rush to get a seat in the office at Lace because we work very flexibly. But on Monday mornings, everyone wanted to be in. And I took you take that as a really positive because people want to be able to bounce off of each other and that creativity. I've started to think about my own situation and think, well, maybe I'm not going to go into the office five days a week anymore because sometimes I work better when I'm at home. So if I'm thinking that and if everybody within our business in Lace is also thinking that, how often are we going to get those moments where we can all be together and bounce those creativity ideas? But then I start thinking about, okay, so culturally, how is that going to shift us? How is that going to change us as a business culturally? So we're a relatively small, you know, 30 people business. So if you multiply that out by a thousand or so you've got now 3,000, 10,000 uh, employee strong workforce, and suddenly you've got lots of those situations happening across teams. I wonder if there's the cultures that existed within big businesses before the pandemic are going to be, you, you're almost going to have to look at those differently when, you know, it's all very well saying, oh, we've got a great culture. We, we are this. This is the type of business that we are. Now it's all very, very different. So I just wonder about what, oh, that's one heck of a, a mind 
boggler for leaders and managers to have to try and to deal with. I don't really know whether there's a question in there. So whether or not you guys want to comment on that. <laughs> well, far away. I think you're absolutely onto something, Chris. Um, I'm working with an organisation at the moment that is very, very geographically split based on the, the nature of the work it does and the, the three sort of centres that represent a big bulk of their work. So I would argue a case to say pre-COVID, they were already quite separated for various reasons in terms of their operating model. And um, I've had reason to do some diagnostics with them uh, more recently. And, and it's you're quite right. It's actually made the situation 10 times worse in the sense of their world has kind of narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. So they feel quite blinkers in terms of looking up and out to the wider organisation. So I think longer term, for, for the large type of organisations that perhaps um, you're referring to, it's going to take a lot more effort to stitch together a singular picture if one can even be garnered. And, and I think you're right. It, it's, it's a mind-blowing uh, question because you then think, well, okay, if I can't garner that sort of singular picture, do I, is it important for me to play back those various pictures and the, and the, the various different points that I might have, even if it's not um, an international organisation? Is it important that other parts of the business are aware of what's happening over here? If I don't spend the time and the effort on that, what are we missing out on? And who communicates that? Whose responsibility is it anyway? So, so I think um, communicators, internal comms teams, uh, HR teams and leaders are going to really have to perhaps to get together and really have almost a, a bit of a conference about that mm. topic. You're absolutely right. It's never going to be the same. And whatever happens with good practice, it's going to be a lot harder to achieve. So there's going to be a lot more effort required. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, Steve. It's uh, probably the biggest question, actually, I would say, to grapple with over the course of this year. And beyond, because it, it, it's going to be something that I think continues to evolve. You might, you know, decide what it is right now, but culture is a natural thing that yeah. changes over time as well. So, yeah, great question, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, there is no silver bullet in this. <laughs> We're coming towards the, the end of today's podcast. So I just want to do a bit of a top line sort of macro view on 2021. If you were to pick out one of the biggest risk factors or challenges that you think um, leaders will have this year, what would you say they might be? We'll start with Steve and then Ems, you give us yours and then that'll be us done for the uh, for this particular podcast. But Steve, give us that, uh, give us your thoughts on that 2021 biggest challenge, that one issue. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, I think um, I'm going to have to go with the, the biggest challenge for me going forward for this year is organisations that make fairly sizable assumptions about what's going in the going on in their organization perhaps using the formal and traditional routes to identify the data and the uh, the themes inside their organization where they choose not to branch out and reach out and do things differently i think if the organization isn't set fair in terms of its culture and its behaviors they could get a really really different read that's quite different to the reality of the organization and unfortunately if that happens the worst case scenario is there's a lag in performance performance results being affected so i think for me that that's the biggest risk so the risk they should be taking is to do things differently to delegate where it's uh, possible to delegate to free up more of their time and spend more time on the communication effort mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ems? 
Yeah, I'd, I'd probably um, go back to that kind of comment earlier around the parent-child piece, i.e. we just continue to to think that that's fine and that that's what people want. And yes, in certain points in time, that is exactly the right thing to do, particularly in crisis, which we've obviously just been through. But we are now in a different phase of that change journey and it requires a different style of leadership. But some leaders just won't be able to behave in any other way because that's the mould they come from. And I guess that links to perhaps my second reflection, which is around complacency as well, perhaps links to that. And that we just assume, well, because everything has been working fine, it can continue to work in the way it is. That's not necessarily going to be the case at all. Back to your question, Chris, around that balance of productivity, happiness, well-being, resilience and the culture again. Cool. Well, thank you very, very much. As always, it's it's always good fun chatting to you two wonderful people. Thank you very much for uh, for your time today, Steve, and for joining Ems and I on the HR on the Offensive podcast. You can find out about other podcasts that we've done just simply by visiting our website. It's slatespartners.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes. You just need to search HR on the Offensive. We're on Spotify, on SoundCloud, we're on Stitcher and on TuneIn as well, which is the the device that you tell your Amazon Alexa to find if you're looking for podcasts as well. Steve, thanks very much for joining us. Chris, absolute pleasure as always. Thank you very much uh, to yourself and thank you very much, Emma. It's been lovely talking to you and uh, debating some really important topics. It's been great having you on. Ems, thank you very much for your uh, partnering crime duet with me again today as well. Anytime. Love it always, Chris. (laughs) And we will see you next time on the HR on the Offensive podcast. Bye-bye. 